Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. This podcast is a little bit different because we're actually filming it um, albeit remotely, we're doing it through Zoom. Hello. We're waving now. If you're watching on YouTube, yeah, you'll be able to see us waving. Um, but we're also going to upload this as we normally do, just as a, a, a podcast audio file. Um, in time, me and Andrew actually do want to get into the habit of recording these, filming these podcasts, and actually doing it in person um, so that they can go up on YouTube. Um, and they can be released as straightforward podcasts as well. Obviously, we can't really do that at the moment, so the next best thing is doing it via Zoom. Um, That might mean that this episode sounds a bit different if you're just listening to it as an audio podcast. So let us know how this works for you, if you think it's good, um, if you like it, if you're watching on YouTube, let us know if you think we should keep doing it. Um, We do read all that feedback, so yeah, send, a, send us a comment um, and we'll go from there. But this episode, Andrew, we're talking about rest mods We're talking about yeah. continuations. We're talking, what are the other words? Replicas? Replicas, fakes? What are recreations, <laughs> fakes, tool room copies. Um, yeah, just the entire business of, you know, either making brand new cars that look very like old cars or getting old cars and modifying them in such a way that they become you know old cars with the you know with the benefit of hindsight so you see so you have a car which looks and sounds um like something from you know times gone by but actually is a viable workable you know on the road proposition today that's the whole point isn't it really yeah. um <clears throat> i was struck by uh, a tweet that our friend matt pryor from autocar um put up last week he was asking for people's top 10 dream garage lists um and I was struck by how many people had either a singer in there or an yeah. alcoholics in yeah. there, or both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think, you know, they, those companies, no one had heard of them 10 years ago. No, um, no one had heard this phrase resto mod 10 years no. ago. Um, those cars and cars like them just wouldn't have figured on those lists a decade ago. And yet now they seem to be almost everywhere. Um, so you've, you've already said that the point is they're beautiful older cars with yeah. a, more of a, a classic car driving experience, but they're new, so they, yeah. they're more reliable. They drive Or they, re- like or they are cars. renewed, yeah. Renewed, yeah, yeah, that's right. So w- let's get down to the heart of their appeal. Is there more to it than that, or is, does that basically sum it up? Well, I think it d- so much depends on which one you're talking about. I mean, it's such an enormous subject, isn't it? Um, you know, resto mods, the things that people have done, or people do today um, 
to create a rest of them. Well, actually, people have been doing them for you know for years and years and years. And you know, there's an entire spectrum, isn't there, from where you get to, at one end of it, you get something like a singer, um, which is a completely bespoke start again, you know, incredible thing, um, which uh, actually has very few parts remaining from the original donor vehicle. Um, but you can go back to you know I don't know people fitting power steering to their Mark II Jaguars or putting a five-speed box in or, or anything like that. So, you know, all the sorts... Of, I mean, there's, the thing about it is there's nothing new under the sun. There's not some, you know, whizzy new technology that's come along which allowed people mm. to do this. It's just become it's just become really, really popular. And, and it fascinates me why and what it says actually about the modern car market. Um, because if someone's going to go and splurge, you know, half a million pounds on a, on a, on a singer or a, you know... Or, or more than that um that presumably means that there's a modern car which they're not buying um and mm. you know and we have seen haven't we we have seen for instance um you know the values of supercars which you know of, of these limited editionals or, or these supercars which are perceived to be special even by the standards of the normal stuff that their manufacturers make um you know we have seen those cars come under pressure i mean there was a time when you could go and, you know, if you got yourself a limited edition McLaren or, 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 or something like that, um, you know, you could have it and it would appreciate and that, and that would be great. But, you know, that, you can't take that for granted anymore. Um, and I think that what people are doing is thinking to themselves, well, if I'm going to spend that amount of money, um, let's put it into a car you can actually use. Because I think one of the problems is, and this goes back to the previous sort of peak car um, argument which I have talked about on this podcast and on Drive Nation. I think one of this is that modern cars are so capable, there are so few environments in which they can be used in the way that they're designed to be used, <coughs> that I think people are thinking, actually, you know, we can have something which is utterly beautiful, probably more evolving to drive because, for instance, it's got three pedals and a stick and, and you know, and goodness knows what else. Uh, it's probably going to be smaller, more manageable, um, and I'm probably going to be able to enjoy much more of what that can do than i would of you know a modern supercar which you know has more power than you can use a public road will go around a corner faster than you'd ever want to go around a corner on public road and so on and so forth and i think that's what we're seeing and i think that people are actually starting to think well you know that classic car which i've never bought in the past because i love the idea of it but i know it's going to be a bit clunky Mm. and i actually do want to get to go where i'm going and i don't want to be left at the side of the road and these companies are coming along go well we can do that now we can do that. We can we can we can do you a car, which looks the same, kind of feels the same, and gives you all of that. But at the same time, um, you can just get it and you can use it because you know it will have a digital radio. It'll have navigation. It'll be properly built. It won't break down and you won't overheat and and on and on and on. And I think that's where it's coming from. And I think I think the only way is up for these guys. I think you know at the moment we're talking about it now because we've just kind of logged onto it as being a bit of a thing. Um, I think it's going to be a lot more than a bit of a thing um, in in years to come. Um, yeah. And, well, yeah. well, we'll we'll get onto that. The <clears throat> the petrol ban is going to bring it to life. I would have thought, but we'll come back to that a little bit later on. So, do you think that the supercar manufacturers are actually missing a trick? Do you think they've been sort of blindsided here, or is it the case that Ferrari wants to sell ten thousand cars a year, however many, and Singer? for instance, might put out a few dozen cars a year. Actually, it's, it's the tiny percentage of those really passionate, die-hard car enthusiasts who actually do want a, 
um, a normally aspirated engine, three pedals mm. and a stick, they do want that classic shape. Yeah. And the, but the trend overall is for ever more powerful turbo engines, for paddle shift gearboxes, for cars that become faster and faster and faster. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think that you have to filter off, don't you? You, know, you, you forget that you know, a lot of the reason that people buy Ferraris um, hasn't got much to do with the fact that they are amazing driving machines, I'm afraid. No. Um, no, no. It's got everything to do with what they think that car is going to say about them to the people that are important to them, their friends, their family, their work colleagues, whatever. Um, and so you're probably actually doing quite a small constituency of people but that's at the moment. And I think the interesting thing is to try to see or try to imagine where this is going to go. Um, and the reason that people buy Ferraris and McLarens and, and all these sorts of things is because, you know, even if they do it for image reasons, they do it because those brands are perceived to be authentic. And what has that authenticity been, been built on? It's been built on making cars which are amazing to drive. Now, if all the people who want, went and built, bought Ferraris because they were amazing to drive now go off and buy these resto mods, um, then I don't know whether that means a company will fall out of fashion. Um, I suspect it's not as simple as that because I think, A, people who can afford that sort of thing can probably afford to have both. Um, and I think these companies have built up their brands and their reputations over such a long period of time um, that you know it's going to take more than a few resto mods to damage them. And also they will adapt. Um, so, um, you know, I, but, I, but I do think, um, I mean, one of the topics that we were, maybe this is the time to talk about it, we were going to talk about it, is whether this is just like a passing trend, whether this is a fashion or whether this is something which is genuinely here to stay. I absolutely believe it's here to stay. And I think mm -hmm. that we will see more and more. And I know we're going to get on to talk about this in a minute, because at the moment, you know, resting mods, we've talked about, you know, singers and, you know, that sort of thing, you know, massively expensive bespoke beautiful ultra low volume cars well that's for now i think it is going to broaden massively um, and i think it's going to become an entire industry and it's going to get down to quite affordable levels yeah yeah okay hold that thought do you think for the time being though is it unthinkable that some of the supercar oems will start doing rest of mods of their own i mean we know that some jaguar for instance have done these continuation cars where they find yeah. leftover chassis numbers and so on um and then build or, those. Or they, or they just find some excuse and think, well, we, they were in production yeah. for eight years, so we'll make eight. Of them. Or, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Is it, is it unthinkable, though, that Ferrari might hoover up some tatty old 250s and do something beautiful with them? Do, will they get into it themselves? Well, I mean, Ferrari have, have always um, resisted doing that. You know, can you imagine what Ferrari would be able to sell a brand new 250 GTO for? Um, but, you know, they've never done it, have they? Um, so they, mm. they have resisted it. But, you know, even the guys who are doing it, you know, they are sort of doing them. You know, if you remember, for instance, those DB4 GT Zagatos, which Aston Martin um, produced, you know, they have got more power than they had when they were new. They are, they are actually, you know, quite different. And I'm sure if you went to them and said, no, I actually, I want a car which is identical to the original, they, they would do that too. But, you know a lot of these continuation cars are still designed with modifications in them to make them a bit more usable i mean mm. th things like sort of cooling systems and that sort of thing you know just so that they don't you know leave you in a steaming wreck at the side of the road um so can i see i can't myself see mclaren doing another batch of f1s i mean maybe they will <laughs> 
But imagine the revenue. Would. Sorry? If, 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 imagine the revenue. If anyone had license to do it, it's them. Yeah. I suppose the BMW engine would be, a, would be a problem. But they could charge a fortune for those things. It's interesting, but, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it is fascinating. But I think that they would regard it as looking back, not looking forward. And is it mm. a sort of tacit acknowledgement that what you did then was actually better than what you're it's doing better. now? <laughs> Um, yeah. And so yeah. we have to look over our shoulder. I just don't think that that's a particularly great way for those companies. I think it's very different for a company like Jaguar, who make you know XEs and XS and E paces and F paces, um, to try to plunder mm. their heritage in that kind of way. I think yeah. it's an altogether yeah. different thing for an absolutely cutting edge, state of the art modern supercar man- manufacturer like McLaren. Um, to go down the same road because people, it, it, you invite a comparison between, you know, whereas no one mm. is going to compare, you know, one of these new um, C-type Jaguars with anything that Jaguar make today. You could absolutely get someone getting a recreated F1 and putting it up against the Senna and drawing some conclusions, you know, conclusions which, you know, some more of which, you know, McLaren may find, you know, a little uncomfortable. So, yeah, I can't see it happening. So what, what were the factors, do we think, that <clears throat> brought the rest of the mod thing to life? Because, as you say, there is no new technology that's made it possible. No. So was it just an idea? Or is there, is there a demand there? Because there's a little hardcore of people who have just had enough of the latest supercar stuff. Because it doesn't tick those boxes anymore. The way they've evolved with, as I've said, Patrick gearboxes, turbo engines, now electric powertrains. Is that a part of it? Some people are yeah, just no, going, I, I, I'm I, not I, interested I think... in the new stuff. I think it is. I think there's also an element of, you know, you, you, you forget that, or we forget that, you know, if somebody goes and buys, you know, a million pound hypercar, it's not an either or. You know, these guys, you know, they will have fleets of cars. They will have, you know, they, they could easily have a dozen cars. Um, and so, you know, what interests me is I suspect that at the moment they'll probably have both. Because they're not sure where this resto mod thing is going. They're not sure whether they really just like the idea of resto mod and the reality of it might be a bit different. So you know they will still have their you know their modern Ferrari McLaren hypercar whatever, and they will have their resto mod whatever. And then what really interests me is that in a few years' time, when they've had chance to experience both sides of it, which way they then go? Mm. Um, whether they mm. actually think to themselves, well, actually. I've had a stack more fun in my Alphaholics Julia um, GTA um, and it's lost no money. It may even have appreciated. And so what's the point? Or they may actually think, actually, those are nice old things, but they because they're ultimately they're not that quick and they don't exhilarate me in that way. And I've also got to explain to my friends what it is because it's a funny <laughs> old car. Um, and it's not the latest whiz bang hypercar, and so they may think, well, actually, I've done that. I really enjoyed it, uh, you know. But actually, I'm just going to carry on, you know, down the same mm. old road, getting the getting the latest greatest thing. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they deem to be the better special occasion car, because that might be the difference, or you know, which which one is more of an event to get out of the garage and take out. Um, yeah. But, so also, the, but also there, there is the image thing, isn't there? Um, and, and it's very interesting yeah. to me to see, you know, we all know or we all think we know what the motivation for an awful lot of super, modern supercar purchases are. And at the moment, I think people probably think that the resto mod market is for purists, for people who really, really mm. dig old cars and, and particularly the way that they drive. 
Um, I don't know whether that's going to stay. If the resto mod thing keeps going and becomes bigger and bigger, and it becomes not only a wonderful thing to have, but a cool thing to have, and everybody, you know, thinks better of you because you got, then, you know, you could buy, find people buying resto mods for reasons other than, the, 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 than that they are great to drive. Uh, I don't know. It's, what's what I love about being absolutely at the sort of, you know, uh, at the launch of this um, new phenomenon, because we don't know where it's going to go. Um, mm. And I find it, I just find it interesting to sort of speculate wildly as to, as to where it's going to go off. Okay, so you find it interesting, but what's your position on it? I suspect for about the same money as you'd spend on a Ferrari F8 Tributo, you could get a rather special Alphaholics GTA recreation. Yeah. yeah. Which one are you having? Well, I haven't driven the Alphaholics car. Um, okay. But, 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 okay. But I know a lot of people who have, and, and I've driven <clears> a lot of GTAs. I, I, I have an imagination. Um, yeah. I suppose a lot of it depends what you're going to use it for. But if it's just and, a pure recreation... And what recreation, else you've got. And what else you've got. But if it's just a pure recreation, I suspect I'm in the Alphaholics car. If it's just mm. as a fun thing to drive, to go and do a track day in, to take on a long country journey with a pub. God, do you remember pubs? We used to go to those, didn't we? Um, <laughs> yeah, at the end vaguely. of it. Then, you know, for me, because, you know, I, I just love... I, 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 I have no interest in what I think others think the cars I drive say about me um, because I'm just a, you know, a middle-aged bloke um, and, I, I, and you know, I have no image to, pro- to project, but I do love driving cars and I would always favour the car that I think I'm going to enjoy driving more. And you know, you know as well as I do that an F8 Tributo is an extraordinary device and if you get it in the right conditions, the things it can do on the limit and the power and everything else are extraordinary. But the problem is, increasingly, the public road aren't those conditions for those sorts of cars. Mm. And so you cannot mm. enjoy a car like that for all the things that it does amazingly well, unless you go and do something, you know, which is still quite unusual, like hire a track, take it to a track day and pound it around there. And are you going to do that with a car that is that valuable? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, probably for a pure recreation, uh, I think I probably would. Once the weather has improved a little bit, <clears throat> you must get yourself along to Alphaholics. Yeah. Have a word with the guys there. They're probably 40 minutes from you. Yeah, they if are. If that. I know. Probably half an hour even. Yeah. Just, just go and have a go in one of those GTAs. They are... I've only had a brief go and only on track. Um, but it's, it, it's just a, a pure driving machine. You know, that's, that's, that's its sole purpose. Yeah. And it's... It's gorgeous to drive. Yeah. It's another... We've spoken about this before. There are certain engines that make you realise that four cylinders are plenty. And it's, yeah. that it's is one, one of those. those. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a gorgeous thing. They're beautifully made. And the, the guys, um, the Banks brothers, they're, they're, they're so into it. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. But you, you haven't driv- driven the Singer, have you? I haven't driven the Singer either, no. No. Again, I've had a very, very quick go again on track actually at long cross just on the, the outside the perimeter track and it was really wet and i you know i couldn't have a, a proper push in it at all but what i did get to feel was all the classic um sort of early nine well it's not really early 911 is it but it's 964 era 911 so you've got that glass house the big glass house yeah. you've got the compact size of the car um and then you've but mixed in with the sort of modernity of the the singer build so it's it's easy to operate like a like a more modern car, um, but it's beautifully built as well. So 
Yeah, even just that very, very short go that I had, I totally understood it. And, of course, you've got this wonderful engine out the back as well. Um, yeah. But there is a Resta mod that you have driven. That... There, 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 there are two. Um, but, yes. Okay, we... okay. But there's one that I'm especially interested in. Go on. Um, and you, we've probably spoken about it before, but you, and you've certainly written about it for DN. Um, but the, it's one of the most beautiful automotive objects surely there's ever been and that's that the eagle e-type yeah um, what, what's it called the coupe one that you drove recently oh there, there have been a few haven't there so um uh, is it the oh, i should know this shouldn't i um is it called the gt low drive lightweight gt i think it's called um, yeah that's right yeah so yeah so they've it is extraordinary i mean it's so expensive um but <laughs> <laughs> but but you get in it and okay first of all you're absolutely right it's the car it's the sort of car you know i love driving cars um but actually when i first saw that i i didn't actually want to drive it at first i just wanted to look mm. at it and i just wanted mm. to drink in the details and then i wanted to find out all about it um i mean the guys are you know henry pierman and the guys at eagle i mean they're complete nutcases they are total obsessives about everything um and they change everything on the car except they don't because it's still an e-type it's still an e-type type monocoque it's still you know got wishbone front suspension it's still got you know jaguar's own um you know independent rear suspension it's you know it's still got enough of the things it's still the same size as an e-type um and when you get in it you don't feel you're driving anything other than an e-type but oh my goodness I mean, mm. it was, it's just, it's so exquisitely put together and it feels so strong. And then you get into it and you feel just how compact the dimensions are and how the car feels tiny around you. Um, mm. And actually, you know, in modern terms, it, I think I worked out it's about as quick as a GT3, a stock standard 911 GT3. So a really, really That's fast quick. car, really fast. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we're not talking you know hypercar performance it but you don't need that on the public road um and it is so deft and it rides so well and this noise is so good you just find yourself driving along thinking there's there's just what would i have about this car which would improve it um they've even managed to find some space inside you know i'm thick end of six foot four so you know i'm always a bit short space in e-types um but they've moved bulkheads around and they've done this that and the other and they've, they've found some space in the pedal box and um, and so you're even comfortable in the car and you just you, you just want to drive and drive and drive and it feels so what is so good about it is although it feels like an e-type it feels precise in the way you know no car from that era ever did you know it's not sort of you know turn it into a corner and then just sort of you know adjust adjust mm. adjust you know you turn it and it goes um, and you feel that you are driving a precision instrument in the way that you never would if it was a standard car, even if it was a really good standard car, because they're just, they just weren't made to those tolerances. They didn't have um, the ability to produce cars like that back then. And yet the feel of the car is, 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 is retained. And it's a very, very clever thing because you could so easily do a car like that um, and come out of it thinking, well, I'm just driven a silhouette. It might look like an E-type. It might even sound like an E-type, but in no way does it feel or drive like an E-type, and yet it does. Um, the other one is the GTO Engineering short wheelbase. Yes. Um, wow. And that, I mean, literally, you turn up there um, with the identity of a Ferrari 
Um, and it really helps if it's a 70s or a 60s Ferrari because um, then you don't get into trouble with emissions and that sort of thing come MOT time. And they will... So you, you, say, you say the identity... Yeah. Can that be so a, a bit of paper or can it a plaque that big? What, what, does, what do you have to give them? They don't need any of the car. If you get, <laughs> yeah, so, so, I mean, they, they sort of talk about, oh, you know, find an old 400 GT that's been, you know, that's burnt out, uh, that's, that's been on fire. That's fine because they only need its identity. Mm. Um, you know, if you give them something which some bits they can use, they'll use them, but they don't need to. They just need the identity. And then they will create you a short wheelbase. And in terms of what it is, it is a short wheelbase. It's, you know, it is no different, unless you want it to be. I mean, they do, a, I mean, obviously all, all original short wheelbases had a three litre engine in them. Um, theirs tend to have three and a half or four litre engines in them because that's what the customers want. But if the customer mm. came to them, I don't think one has yet, and said, actually, I just want a completely stock standard three litre in it, they'd do that. Um, but, you know, okay, so a standard steel-bodied original short wheelbase, I don't know, some, some classic car expert will be shouting at their screens when I say this, but I'm guessing it's three to four million. And if it's an alley car, you'll be talking telephone numbers, you'll be talking maybe 10 million pounds from, from an aluminium original short wheelbase. And for less than a tenth of that money, you can have an aluminium short wheelbase made last week with whatever modifications you want on it. And... Yeah, and the thing is, visually it's indistinguishable. In terms of the way that it sounds, I don't think it's, it sounds any different. It is obviously quicker because it's got a bit more power. Um, and it is a short wheelbase. And it is just, it's an utterly mesmerising thing to drive. It is joyful. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was one of my highlights of, um, God, was, it, was it last year? I guess it must have been, some stage pre-lockdown. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just, I just absolutely loved it because it's just so usable. Um, you I've, know, already, you have I've already said, uh, I've already said that I think the um, Eagle is one of the most beautiful automotive shapes. Actually, I think that as far as standard cars go, the Ferrari 250 GT short wheelbase is maybe the prettiest car there's ever been. One of them. Um, and that, <laughs> that's a different topic, isn't it, really? But, and, and, and that demonstrates another important point about these cars, um, why they've become so popular. And I think it is the case, I put it to you, that all, all of the beautiful automotive shapes are old. No, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. Go on. What, what what do you think? I think a base spec what? 992 is a beautiful car. Oh, you're going to say that is an old shape, aren't you? You're going to say... <laughs> no, I'm like, not actually. <laughs> no, no, I think it qualifies as a new one, but clearly inspired okay, by okay, one, okay. I, That's an interesting I, point. I think a, um, I have been uh, knocking about, as you do, in a 570S McLaren um, for the last mm. few days because it's coming to an end, um, and I'm doing a story for Autocar in it. And I think that's a beautiful car. I think, yeah. I, think a five, I think a 570 GT is an even more beautiful car. Yeah, I think that's a really, really beautiful car. Um, I think mm. aroma. I don't mean a smell. I mean a Ferrari Roma, not aroma. Yeah. Um, I think aroma is a beautiful car. Okay, that's, that's I think, fair I think, enough. I, I, I think a Hurricane is a beautiful car. 
I just, I, you know, people who listen to this podcast will know that Dan and I have a tedious habit of agreeing with each other on things, but I, I'm not with you here. I think that mm. they are beautiful in different ways, but I, I absolutely think these cars are beautiful. I don't think, sadly, there are as many, and I think we could, you and I could probably both point to any number of modern cars um, that try too hard and because they've got wings and fins and spats and all these sorts of things on them um, aren't beautiful. And it's much more difficult to create a beautiful car now because there's so much legislation. I mean, so much of a car designs itself just by the by the rule book. But no, I don't buy that there aren't beautiful cars anymore. Okay, I think there are cars that look fantastic, modern cars that look fantastic and aggressive and sinister, but I, I don't think any of them qualify as beautiful. Okay. Um, but anyway, it doesn't matter if we agree on that, that point or not. I suppose that must be a big part of the appeal for a lot of people is that if you want a classically beautiful car... You, you probably now need to have an older one. Um, yeah. And if you don't want an old car, you therefore need to have a, a rest mod of some sort, don't you? And that, yeah. that, I think, probably explains this whole phenomenon as much as anything else. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, it, it, and, and you, are, you are correct insofar as, you know, with both that short wheelbase and the Eagle, um, the first, as I said, the first thing you want to do is look at them. You want to go and yeah. drink in all the details. And even with those modern whatever you call them, striking, beautiful, good-looking supercars, you see them and you think, oh, that's, wow, that looks amazing. Let, what's it like? Let's get it and drive it. Um, and so, you know, the looks of the thing, then they're not what is uppermost in your mind when you first see mm. it. So, so from, to, to that extent, I guess, I guess you're right. <laughs> okay. Um, how much is that GTO engineering car? It's about, about 700,000 pounds, I think. 700,000. How much is the Eagle? Close to a million? Yeah, well, I mean, so much of these things depend on spec. I mean, I'm sure you could mm. spend over a million on an Eagle um, if you wanted okay. this. I mean, you know, the, the, the thing is, they will make these cars the way you want them to be. I mean, to the extent that yeah. you can tell them, you know, what you, you that you can tell them what shape you want your torque curve to be, and they will do, they'll stick on the numbers and they will design your camshafts and mm. compression ratios and engine capacities just to make sure that it is what you want it to be. So, um, I think, yeah, I, I think you'd struggle to spend less than. 700 or one of those um, but I'm sure you could easily spend a million yeah the an Alphaholics GTAR I think probably quarter of a million pounds will get one but again I suspect you could spend a lot more they now do a carbon body for those things so you, you could you could spend an awful lot of money on one of those I'm sure um, th- we know that uh, a Singer Classic uh, a couple have been sold recently we know that even a used one is about 700,000 pounds pounds yeah. sterling um, we know that the DLS, uh, the car that they've done with Williams and is coming soon, that's a couple of million pounds. So big numbers, big numbers. Just so, and but, so what does that mean for people like you and I? We, we don't have a chance of owning one of these. Um, so is this rest mod thing just not for us? No, well, I think, I mean, you know, maybe you're going to talk about, um, a car that you drove, which suggests that. It is a process that can be and can become democratised. Um, I mean, at the moment, clearly people are doing these sorts of cars because that's where the profits are. I mean, they are, you know, yeah. there, there is big money to be made out of these things and, uh, and I have no problem with that. But I think so much of it just depends on how far you want to go um, and what, you know, if you fit power steering to a car or a different gearbox or, you know, is, have, you, have you turned it into a resto mod? If you tweak the engine a bit, have you turned it? At what stage does you know, just a, a, a bit of tuning up, a bit of optimization become um, a resto mod. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, 
but I think that there will over time as this phenomenon takes off I think people will be starting to want to take advantage of it and and clearly the less you charge the wider your, the, the bigger your potential market is going to be um so no I, I i absolutely think i mean probably not now although you have driven something haven't you which i'm sure you're going to talk about which was uh very affordable um which could call itself a resto model some, of, of some description but i'm sure that i'm not sure that these things are ever going to be cheap um, or really cheap, or that the mainstream's going to be. But you know, I, I, I can see. I'm just trying to think of of an example. Um, you know, resto mods of cars. You know, which you know you might be able to pick up for twenty grand now, and then you give a company thirty grand, and you're all in fifty grand, and they've been through it, and they've you know, and, and they've done everything they need to do to make the car faster, more reliable, um, and you know, properly equipped for the modern world. Yeah, better than when it was new. Um, so the yeah, the car that I have had a go in that suggests there might be something more accessible in this rest of mod thing is the Rocketeer MX-5. Um, Rocketeer, they're a very small company in Hungerford, um, and they effectively, well, they they just drop Jaguar V6 engines into Mark One and Mark Two MX-5s, um, which is a you know, there's nothing historically correct about that, but I find that I actually don't care. And that Jaguar engine is a—it's a curious thing, like a, one of those bizarrely exotic engines that you wonder how they ever came to be. It's quite an interesting story. I think it started out as a Porsche design, um, and then Porsche didn't do anything with it because they decided to stick with V8s and flat sixes, I think, rather than do anything with the V6 at that time. Um, and so the the IP got sold on to Ford and Cosworth got involved. And right. the, the point being, it's, a, it's an over-square V6, so it's got more bore than strokes. So it's a revy yeah. thing. It's all aluminium. Um, the, the Ford Duratec version, if you bolt two of them together, you get an Aston Martin V12. Yeah. Um, and the Jaguar version had variable valve timing, so it's a properly trick thing. Uh, and it's, it's a three-litre... But because it's all alloy, it's no heavier than the, the cast iron lump, the, the four-cylinder that comes out of an MX-5. So you're not adding any weight, and you're not changing the corner weighting um, much, if at all. So those basic MX-5 dynamic traits are, are present and correct. They're unchanged. You just have this... So I think they start at about 270 horsepower, their, yeah. their crate engines. And that in a little, I think it's sub 1100, isn't it? It's just over 1,000 kilograms in MX-5 yeah, yeah. and Mark II. Yeah. I mean, it goes like stink. And yeah. it's a properly, it's a live wire engine, that thing. It yeah. revs beautifully all the way to the top end. It sounds fantastic. It's strong without being, you know, so powerful and so talky that the rest of the car feels like it can't take it. Um, it's a... It's a hell of a, a conversion, actually. And what, and what, gearbox build, do they, what gearbox do they use with it? Standard one, standard gearbox. And th- what they say is that the firing pulses of a V6, because they're more spread out, they're more even, they actually punish the gearbox less than a four-cylinder, despite having so much more torque, um, which is an interesting point. Um, and you can buy one of their crate engines for, I think it's five or six thousand pounds, if you want to drop it in yourself, um, for one of their builds you're looking at twelve or thirteen thousand pounds and the car I drove you could have for about fifteen grand and they'd fitted some 
Brembo brakes and some Fox suspension and done a couple of other bits and pieces. So, so that's so you're, not quite you're, a rest. You're, you're all in for 15 grand. Yeah, I mean, it's, they, for that money, they haven't done anything to the bodywork. They haven't done anything to the cabin, really. So it's, yeah. it's not a typical rester mod, but you've got the engine in there and you've got some choice chassis upgrades. Um, and that, that is a 15 grand for one of those. I just think that's fantastic. How, yeah. they, it, you know, not all of their cars quite qualify as affordable. They've had a few customers who have gone the full resto mod route and had full body restorations you know the shells dipped um and interiors fully retrimmed and they've come away with 70 plus thousand pound bills which for an mx5 <laughs> seems like a lot but you know but people you, do this don't look they? At it. Yeah, people do this you know and, and they don't care about you know residual value or anything like that because it's in their minds they're never going to sell it and they just exactly. that's just what they want don't they because maybe that's their that's the car that they that got them interested in in sports cars to begin with, and maybe they've got a bit of money now. And you know, people do all sorts of things for all sorts of reasons. And you know, I can absolutely see someone thinking actually that's a good place to to park that that, that sum of money if it, if you know you're going to enjoy the results of that for for twenty years. Um, you know, good on them. Mm. Yeah, I totally get it. If and it's great, you know, people might think they're ridiculous for doing so but bravo to them for saying i don't care i'm going to do it anyway i think it's fantastic um so yeah that you should have a go if you can that a little mx5 uh with those typical mx5 handling characteristics light plenty of body roll supple um really really good detailed steering with a ripper of a v6 in it yeah it's a it's a it's, a, it's a, an appealing prospect, I have to say. Um, so where, where do resto mods for you potentially sort of cross the line in terms of what we, we think is acceptable? Do you think dropping uh, a crate LS engine in something old and Italian is, is overstepping the mark? I don't really think it's for me to say. I mean, would I be interested in that sort of car? You know, if Alcoholics decided they were going to do a GTA with an LS3 in it? No. No, I, I, you know, mm. it's not something which would appeal to me. But I wouldn't, you know, wag my finger at someone who did. I, you know, I'm a libertarian. I believe that's what you do. That's what floats your boat. Good luck to you. Um, I don't think, I think the only time it gets tricky, and maybe this is an area we'll get into, is when people start pretending cars are something that they are not. Mm. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I think particularly with these recreation cars, um, you know, I, I know that manufacturers go to some lengths to ensure that these cars can't have histories invented for themselves, um, which they don't deserve. And so that, you know, cars that look to all intent purposes present as amazing 1950s race cars uh, but in fact were built last week um, don't get passed off as being something that they are not because clearly the temptation for doing that and and we know absolutely in the past and there have been court cases about you know cars have come for sale and have been bought and then somebody's gone uh, actually i've already got i've got that car so that can't be it it might look like it and everything else but um it's not it um so you know, people have been, particularly in the racing world, people have been making cars that look like old cars for years and years and years. And I think that people 
often think this is a kind of new phenomenon because um, you hear about you know the companies that make you know for instance things like Ford GT40s. Um, you know there are a number of companies you can go to, and they will for actually a, a surprisingly modest sum. It's not it's a large amount of money. It's like three hundred grand or whatever. But you know compared to what you pay for an original GT40, um, it's not that much money. And they will create a GT40, which is so good that the FIA will provide it with papers which allow it to go historic racing because it conforms in all the ways those cars should do. It is, it's not original, but it is as the original was. Um, and yeah, actually, I don't, have, I, I, don't, I don't even have a problem with that because um, people think that there's a kind of choice somehow between you know, these brand new cars, which look like old cars, or watching the real thing. That's not the choice. The choice is between, mm. you know, the brand new cars look like the old cars, seeing those or not seeing any of them at all. Because the real thing is so valuable now, um, people just don't bring them out. Some people do. Um, but to a very large extent, um, these cars often just stay home. Um, and so, you know, the cloning business is is massive. And, you know, the, you, you can go to historic car races you know particularly the top end ones all over the world and you can see cars which look like something um and to all intents and purposes in the way that they appear and sound and drive they are but they're not they're actually modern cars that were you know created because the original is just too valuable to get out the shed anymore Um, i often wonder if it's a sort of unspoken rule with museums that they can display an artifact that they claim to be the real thing only if they've got the real thing in a vault downstairs because the, the real thing is just too fragile or delicate or valuable to put yeah. on display i remember being at the i think it's called the henry ford museum in detroit yeah um where they've got the car that jfk was shot in um and it's just behind a rope i i got so close and i had i sort of had a little look around and i just touched it just because i thought this is such an amazing thing, the car that he, he was in when he was assassinated, and it's here. And I just I couldn't help but think, surely that's not it. Surely there's, the real thing is downstairs somewhere, and they've just put this here to be on display. Yeah. I just, I couldn't believe it. It's the Mona Lisa argument, isn't it? I mean, I, I've, I, I've, mm. I, I've, I've been to the Louvre a couple of times and seen it, and I never know whether I've actually seen it. I mean, if you have the <laughs> Mona Lisa, would you really put it on public display? I don't know. No. But it doesn't matter. I mean, I tie myself up in knots about this. Um, What I like is um, is when people are straightforward about this. Um, There are people. Some people may know what Project Aston Martins are. There, they made four or five of these things in the early nineteen sixties. They were GT racing cars, and they are rocking horse rare. I think they made no. There were four, and one of which has been destroyed. Um, And there's a chap who owns one of them, and he obviously doesn't want to go and race it. Um, at anything other than somewhere like Goodwood and so he has created another one and he's completely open and honest that his Project 214 um, isn't an original project car and I think that is absolutely fine and he and he just says you know I can go and race this he does things like the Spa you know he comes and joins in the Spa six hours with idiots like us in it um, because you know he knows that if something happens and that car gets damaged you know it's probably going to be expensive it's going to be a pain but you're not destroying history hmm. And he's got history back in his shed. Um, and, you know, I, I, and I think people who do it like that, I think, I think it is absolutely fine. I think people who 
talk about cars that were created last week about you know what they got up to in the 1960s and the races that they won and just sort of over time I hope to establish some kind of narrative which will enable them to move it on as something that it's not I think that is absolutely not on mm. yeah you want the broadly approach don't you they're not pretending that their T70 continuation re- recreations no. are they're not even calling them low no exactly mm. Exactly. What are those uh, things like? I can tell you what a T70 is like. I can't tell you what a Broadway is like because I haven't driven one. A T70 is the most wonderful thing. Well, yes, it's it, 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 T70. Don't get me started on T70. I could do an entire <laughs> podcast on T70s. Um, no, but, we'll do that no our, 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 fr- our friends, um, you know, people like Harris and Dickie Meaden have driven them, but sadly, yeah. not me. Yeah, I, I just remember Dickie, I think he uploaded a video, showed me a video on his phone of a a broadly T70 starting up and it was just the most exciting thing to hear it going spewing all sorts Um, okay so we're what 44 minutes in or so Um, we've got a few more minutes but let's talk about a slightly more contentious side of um, the whole Resta mod thing and that's dropping an electric powertrain into a classic car in place of its original combustion engine powertrain yeah um, I think a lot of people find that stuff almost sacrilegious, don't they? Um, mm. I think my point of view is that if it means the car actually gets used, then perhaps it's okay. Um, I, I also think that just because it's an old powertrain, combustion engine powertrain, doesn't mean it's good. And it could be a total pain. <laughs> almost certainly be... means it's not. Exactly. And, you know, maybe if, particularly if the car's getting used in town... Maybe it means that this beautiful old car gets used rather than lives in a garage. My, my uncle, um, he's had a couple of Bristols. He lives in North London. Um, and he, he doesn't have, he's got a Yaris hybrid now because he has to drive into town every day to go to work. And driving a, you know, a, something with a stonking great combustion engine will cost him a fortune. Um, and so he likes the idea of a Bristol with a, an electric powertrain dropped in it. We've had this conversation before and I... I think I was against it, but on reflection, particularly if it's reversible, I'd, I don't know. I think that, I'm probably me, okay with it. To me, that's the thing. Can you put it back? Uh, mm. I think to me that actually makes a car a eminently attractive proposition. Um, here's an electric whatever, um, but but here's the internal combustion engine and the transmission and everything else that goes with it. Um, and if you ever wanted to sell it back as a whatever, you could sell it again as a. I I I, I don't like the ideas of cars being cut up. Um, mm. and having their identity physically destroyed so that they can become something else because that is destroying history and I'm, and I'm not in favour of that. But again, I, I get back to, the, to, to, to my old sort of, you know, the LS3 argument. It's not for me. Um, I don't, you mm. know, I, 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 I am academically interested in driving these things but because the powertrain of an old car is to me so much of its character and its identity, if you remove that... Um, and replace it with something which makes no noise or makes a very uninteresting noise and at the same time, as you will do, make the car massively heavier. Um, and to me, the lightness of old cars is another key part of their, uh, of, of their appeal. Then, you know, I haven't driven any of these electric, um, electrified old cars yet, so maybe I'll be amazed and come back on here and say I was completely wrong, but I can't see how a car like that is going to be in any way as rewarding as it would have been 
when it was new with all its original kit in it. But that's not why people buy them. People buy them for the same reason that your your uncle's interested in that electric Bristol. You know, they just want to. And you know, and what would you rather see? Um, you know, go down the road, some you know modern electric box or something exquisite and beautiful like like a Bristol. And so. Mm. Again, you know, I, 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 you know, they may not interest me, but that doesn't mean I think that they are therefore a bad thing. I'm not that arrogant. Um, you know, I think that they probably have a place. Um, and if yeah. you know, that means that, you know, I had this, I had this idea um, of just getting old Fiat 500s and just getting sort of plug and play uh, electric power, power trains in them, and then just letting them loose in central London. And if yeah. central London became a colourful tapestry of amazing little 500 zipping about the place all of them emitting no emissions whatsoever and parking and parking spaces this big i mean is that bad is that is that wrong should someone go oh no that's you know, that's a terrible you know staying on yeah. the heritage of those no the cars get used more they get seen more they get enjoyed more um you know they're not enjoyed for the reasons that i might go and enjoy whizzing mine around the lanes around here but that doesn't mean that they're not to be enjoyed and i think that people who are in them um, would just feel really cool and happy about being in them. Um, and as long as you can put them back uh, or you have that option uh, or somebody else can, then good luck to them. Yeah, you can buy an electric original Mini, can't you, nowadays? Yeah. Um, right, okay. So I want to, a few more minutes, I want to hear about the one car that you would rest a mod and keep forever. You can only choose one. Uh, preferable if it hasn't been done already. We want an original idea. Um, what's it going to be? You're going to go first because I've got to think about this. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, I'll give you mine, but I don't want mine now. I want mine in ten years or nine years, maybe. Okay. Go on. And I want I want some company to come along and nine years from now and rest a mod an E46 M3. Oh, very good. This is this is the one for me. You see because. It's this whole idea that I think will keep me and people like me, us, interested in cars, even after the combustion engine ban or the petrol engine and diesel ban, um, which in the UK comes in in 2030 and then hybrids banned after 2035. But if you could take a car, an affordable performance car like the E46 M3, do whatever you want to do with it, resto mod it, rebuild the engine retrim it give it modern communication technologies whatever that means nine years from now so that you can use it the way that you'd use a modern car so it's reliable like a modern car so it's strong as a modern car whatever but it looks like an e46 m3 and it fundamentally drives like one that is a really compelling proposition to me um and also what you can pick one of those stone cars up for 12 grand or something it doesn't need to be prohibitively expensive yeah if I was one of the many reputable BMW specialists around the UK or Europe, I'd, I'd be looking hard at turning my business into a resto modder of that sort. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for it. I mean, you couldn't, the thing is, you couldn't charge big money for it now, could you? No, not now. Not now. But as you say, in 10 years' time, absolutely, because they're going to be, yeah. um, be classics, aren't they? Yeah, they will be. And people like me who aspired to own one when they were adolescent will suddenly have the money to be able to have one um and then or, or you could or you could do a sort of z3m coupe couldn't you yeah yeah resto mod that I, can you imagine yeah. how how good a z3m coupe that was actually good mm. would be 
Rather because than, it looks like one, but it's brilliant to drive. But it's, but it's actually good to drive. That would be something, yeah. wouldn't it? Okay, I've, yeah. got, I've, come up, I've come up with my car. Let's have it. And you could do this now. I'd have an original 1960s Lotus Elan. I so saw like, one yesterday. The, the weather really? was foul. It was snowing yesterday. Um, I was out and about, and I saw one drive past me, and I... J- I had to applaud the guy. I just thought, bravo. Good effort. Good effort. Yeah, but, yeah. but that's, a, that's, a, that's so a really good shout. I absolutely love Elans. Um, to me, they, like the Elise did um, later on, they absolutely get that balance right between being incredible to drive and just sufficiently usable that you actually want to get in and, you know, go drive it in the, you know, in filthy weather or whatever. Um, but... The theory and the reality of of the lands is, you know, is, is a bit different. They are incredibly flimsy. Um, historically, at least, yeah. they've not been the most reliable of things. Um, and, you know, of course, a lot of this is to make them incredibly light. I mean, I can't remember what they weigh, but it's like 600 and something kilos. I would actually put up, and although I hate weight, absolutely, I would actually put up with a little bit of weight going into an Elan. Um, if that made it a bit stiffer, made it a bit stronger... Um, but I would keep the amazing roll rate, so it's still really soft and really light and really mm. delicate and beautifully balanced. Um, and it's a and, and I wanted to be a car that you could just get in and to and just drive around Europe for a fortnight and not even think about taking out you know AA cover because it wouldn't even occur to you that it might go wrong because whoever has done it has just because those cars have been around for so long they know what all the issues are and they've just fixed them and it's got i wouldn't want to necessarily have huge amounts more power but i mean so that's it's got a 1600 twin cam engine in it so you know 140 horsepower that'd be easy enough wouldn't it um in a car weighing 700 and something kilos i mean that would be more than enough performance um yeah i'd love that i'd really really love that so that's my one and if you want to get your order in for a Frank or Lalanne, uh, leave a message in the comment section below. We'll get back to you. Uh, how much are you charging? Oh, very reasonable. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but if you could keep, if you could be all in for under 100, I think that would sell. Yeah, yeah, it would. Yeah, I'm sure it would. Um, okay, well, there we go. Resto mods, continuations, replicas, fakes, whatever. It's a good topic, isn't it? And it, we're mm. going to be talking about these cars more and more because when existing petrol and diesel cars are banned in the next few years there will be a group of people who actually aren't interested in modern stuff um the you know the latest modern new cars and they will want uh, a car with a combustion engine a manual gearbox but they're going to want modern reliability they're going to want modern communication modern safety and that's yeah. where the rest of the mod thing really comes to life yeah um, and, and they're going to want it at a price they can afford which is where the big change yeah. has to come yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, okay, well, good. Hopefully this video podcast has worked. It's the first one we've done. But if you've watched it on YouTube, well, first of all, congratulations for sitting through 54 minutes of us, our little faces on the screen, talking <laughs> nonsense to one another. Um, but let us know if you think this worked. As soon as we're allowed to, we're going to try and do these in person. Um, and so we will be uploading much more video stuff to this channel. So hit that subscribe button now. Now is the time to subscribe Um, because we're going to be doing a lot more. Uh, And if you've been listening just as a straightforward uh, podcast, please subscribe to whatever you get your podcast, leave a a review as well. Um, And we will be back to talk to you again next week. Look forward to it. The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser.
and Andrew Frankel. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.